Whoa. Kind of my appetizer today is kind of like this. Although we live in a changing world where there's always continual advancements, there's a lot of things that don't change and will never change. We need to sleep. We need to eat. We need to drink water. There's seasons. The sun comes up. It goes down. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for men once to die, and after that the judgment. Ecclesiastes 3.2 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die. 1 Corinthians 15.21 and 22 says, Since by man, Adam, came death, by man also, Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And we've been talking about working on ourself. And our work is that work on our soul. That work on that part of us that's connected in this natural world that affects our faith, affects our feelings, our motivations, and the things that we do. Jesus asked the most important question in Matthew 16, 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, working on yourself, that verse we've been talking about the last couple weeks, is really about working on our life, working on the things that are important to us, our values, our principles, what's motivating us, what's driving us to live our life. But the bottom line is we're all racing towards eternity. No matter how old we are or how young we are, we're all headed towards that place called death. And so it's so important that we're working on our soul, we're working on our spiritual life, and we're developing ourselves in God. I didn't talk to Dory this morning, but I felt really strongly the last this last week about how to open, um, and I, I want to talk about what Matthew says, and I mean what Psalms thirty four nineteen says. It's interesting she used Mark, which talked about that young boy being afflicted. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The definition of affliction from Strong's bad or evil, which concurs natural calamities and disasters, moral afflictions, things of sin, things that we do, things done to us. Job was a, a godly man who went through afflictions, adversity, bad situations, calamity, displeasure, distress, evil. And just sometimes where we feel like we're we're ill ill favored with our relationships or at work or with our boss ever gone through seasons where you just feel like oh there's bad favor on me um things that go bad seems that things that seem really terrible greatly terrible and they're and they're lasting for a while grief being grieved 
having grievous situations or grievous words said to us, harm, even heaviness, you know, emotional pressures and distresses and heavy situations, overwhelming circumstances that we deal with, hurt, things that are hurtful, again, ill-favored, mischief done to us. Sometimes we get ourselves into mischief. Our kids get into mischief, trouble, wickedness, things that go from bad to worse, wretchedness, wrong. That's all the definition. That is a huge definition from the word afflictions in the Strong's. So this is the world we're living in. This is our reality. Even though we'd like things to be, go- to be good and we want things to be great and we want to be around people who are happy, this is the world we live in. But Jesus gave us some parameters and how to deal with the evil world that he's called us into as Christians, to go into. He says, go into the world. He's asked us to go into this evil world, to not uh, separate, to not hold back, but to go into the world. But it's interesting, if you need, read the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus says to pray this. And again, think of how God provides for us. He provides for us daily. He gives us our daily bread. When the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, every day they had to have manna. Every day God provided water. So there are some daily things. So Jesus told us as believers, there are certain things we should pray for every day. And one of those things was Jesus said, pray this over yourself. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil world. How interesting, we're going into evil world. Evil things can happen around us. Sometimes even seem like they overtake us and happen to us. But we're to keep praying that hedge of protection. That's what Job did back in Job. He prayed it over his kids. He prayed it over his family. He's prayed over them in case they would do some sin. But it was permission that Satan got to get advantage, take advantage to test Job is where he got through that hedge. So even though you may be praying and you're going through difficulties, you're going through afflictions, don't stop praying that prayer. And realize if you are going through afflictions, God is going to do something for you and through you and to you during those afflictions. You are going to get stronger in your faith. But maintain your prayer. Maintain your covering, your, your covering of prayer by saying, Lord, deliver me from evil. God, deliver me and keep me from temptation. Lord, I pray over my family. I extend this hedge of protection over my family that they would be open to the gospel, that they would be open to you, that you would protect them from evil. Lord, I extend my prayer and faith because Jesus told me to pray it. God, deliver us from evil. And if you're in a situation, if right now you feel afflicted, you could pray that prayer. In fact, I want you to stand right now with me. And all of us have things that we're bugged with, that we're irritated about. Maybe it's a grief, maybe it's a pain, maybe it's a sickness. But why don't we, you could even mumble humble. I know you could pray, and you could pray out loud if you want, but why don't you just pray even loud enough so you can hear yourself. I want there to be a hum in this place for a few minutes as we pray about those afflictions. Let's give them, let's pray them, let's ask God to deliver us. Lord, we begin to pray right now. And I pray, Lord, against afflictions, Lord, over these people, over myself. I pray against the evil and the resistance, Lord, to your will. I pray even against the resistance that comes, that the Satan uses over my own will and soul against what you want me to do. I pray against the things that come against our, our sober living home. I pray against the things that are hindering us from moving forward with the church. I'm praying for things of doubt and unbelief that are hindering our people. I pray against discouragement, Lord, over them. I pray against situations that are binding them and keeping them from moving forward. I pray against oppression that tries 
to steal our joy. I pray against the effects of grief and loss. Lord, you told Adam and Eve in the day that they would eat, they would open a door to death and they would die. I pray against death that has touched all of us and brought us grief and sorrow and loss. And I pray against these afflictions, Lord, that we have to deal with while we're in this body. And I pray against them in the name of Jesus. And I, and I ask, Lord, that you would help us. Jesus, even as you told us to pray this Our Father prayer every day, I'm praying that you would release us from evil today, that when we go out today, we would see breakthroughs, God, because we're praying these prayers. And we're extending this hedge over us and our family and over all those that you would have us touch. And I pray we'd walk out of here today with a freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. How many, how many believe that that resonates with you, that you need to play, pray against the afflictions that come against you? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of all of them. And you may be in the middle of something, or you can reflect on what you're going through or what you have going through, and okay, it's not done yet, but don't stop praying. Jesus said we're going to be in afflictions. Look at the afflictions Jesus had to go through. We're, we're talking about this is, you know, the Passion Week going into it. Jesus, he had to face rejection from religious leaders who, who was representing from his family, the Israelites, they were going to reject him, and then he had the Roman people against him. And then in his own disciples, he had a Judas. Talk about afflictions. Talk about evil. But Jesus maneuvered through his life to accomplish his will of dying for us, that his blood would cover our sins, that we might be born again, have eternal life, and this relationship with God. So whatever afflictions we have as Christians, we are going to press through, we are going to break out, and we are going to overcome. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care if it's it's your dying breath on your deathbed, you get the answer. You are going to persevere, overcome, and persist, and get through all the afflictions that Satan's trying to throw out. He's trying to stop your faith. He's trying to stop the witness of God. He's trying to stop the faith that you have. He's trying to stop the prayers that you have. They're powerful to break strongholds, not only over your life, but over the life of the people you're supposed to touch. We're talking about working on ourselves. Here's, here's another scripture about afflictions. One more before I shift gears. James 5.13. James asks the question so we can counter the afflictions that surround us. Is any of you, among you afflicted? Let them pray. So anytime you're feeling afflicted, pray. Okay, the last two weeks we were talking about working in ourselves, and I want to kind of branch into uh, talking about the work of holiness because it's part of that work that we're, we're ongoing as Christians, working on that holiness. By the blood of Jesus, we're made holy. We're, we're moved into this righteous category. But it's the work we're doing on our soul to break strongholds, sin patterns, unbelief, doubt, uh, discouragement, oppression, all those other things, what Satan is trying to keep us bound with. He's okay, you can go to heaven, but he doesn't want you to be used. He doesn't want you to be a threat. So he's happy that you would stay in all this stuff. No, we're not going to stay in our stuff. We're going to grow. We're going to grow in our holiness and in, in surrendering to God and having the work of our soul being refined. And we're going to go all the way with God. We're going to get to the other side and he's going to say, well done. You accomplished everything that I had for you to accomplish. Now, I don't care. I'm going to be 63 years old this year, but I was praying on my walk to church today, and I said, God, 
I know I've been a late bloomer. I've been kind of slow in my growing, but I don't want to get to the other side and, and, and there be one thing that I didn't accomplish. God, as weak as I am and knowing all my insecurities, my vulnerability, uh, my, my weakness to temptations or whatever, God, let me overcome. Let me fulfill everything that I can fulfill. Let me not get to the other side and have something that I left undone. Let me touch. Let me speak to every person. Let me pray every prayer that I need to pray. But God, let me use everything that you've given me. Even if I'm only a one-talent person, I want to use that one talent to its fullness. Okay, here's a little bit of review. Work on yourself. Philippians 2.12, this is our base for what we're going to continue about working on holiness. My dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent. In other words, be a Christian whether you're in church or out of church. Work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. I know most of you, or a lot of you, in this technology society end up doing more work. Because you're working, how many work on your computer? You're calling, your, you're doing emails from home. I mean, you're actually doing more work. Actually, technology is really cheating you because you're doing a lot more work and you're not getting paid for it. Everybody's asking you to work. Some of you kids are going to school. How many have to do homework, college, homework? Yes. Ugh, work. It's a bad thing, huh? Yeah, it's bad. Well... God is telling you, you got to work too for him. you got to work on yourself. you got to work on yourself so that you're not handicapped in any area where you're not functioning as a strong believer in Christ. So he's asking you to work on yourself. And it's interesting that the Holy Spirit is right there living inside of us, and we know what we got to work on. Let's make a decision today. We are not going to give God any other substitutes anymore. He's asking us for this thing. Let's not substitute something else. Let's not work harder in another area when he's asking us just to do this. Actually, if we'll do what God wants us to do, we're going to have a lot more rest because the blessing of God exists and is poured out upon us when we're walking in the grace of God. And the grace is in carrying the yoke, the responsibility that he's putting on you and doing just what he wants you to do. You do you remember this, you won't work alone, Philippians 2.13. Our work is not in your own strength. For it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. We had this stuff when I worked at the aerospace company. It was called Double Bubble. I never found anything like it anywhere. It was in this little pack, and it was, they were sectioned off with two parts. But it was the most powerful adhesive that you could use. And we used to get these little packs of double bubble. We'd cut the tip off, fold them together, and squeeze it out, mix it together, and it stuck everything together. And that's what we are. The Holy Spirit in us and our own will is like double bubble. And you squirt those out together, and it works. It creates a bond. It creates uh, something that's going to be prospering, something that's going to be fulfilled. Alone, we can't do anything just with God. No, he can't do everything. He did his work and went to heaven, and now he sends the Holy Spirit to live in us so we can work with him, so that we have to work on ourselves, so that we can work to do and accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Grace, 
Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So again, that's again our stabilizing thing. We are saved by God's grace. We could not work for our salvation. We could not be good enough. We could not make enough sacrifices. There's religions where people are cutting themselves and doing all these self-sacrificing things, trying to atone for their sins, trying to show themselves approved to God so that they'll get some kind of salvation. There are religions right now working, giving out pamphlets and thinking like if, if, you, uh, if they do that, they're going to get saved. Our salvation is because Jesus died for us and no other way. His blood was shed for us. It cleanses us from sin. It makes us righteous in God's sight. It makes us holy in God's sight. But now we're working on the old man that still wants to go back and do the old things that are sinful and degrading and discouraging and destroying, <clears throat> destroying our lives and the lives of others. Philippians 1.6 I am convinced and sure of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ right up to the time of his return developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion again that work on our mind, will, and emotions that accomplishes and strengthens our spirit and when our, our mind, will, and emotions get right in a right our thinking is right our, our thinking is biblical our, our spirit has such a platform for ministry because then our, our soul directs our will to, to get our body into motion. We find ourselves volunteering for things. I can remember just starting to move from uh, just being a pusiter into active involvement. It was scary, but when I, when I started making those steps, God's grace stepped in, and I found myself involved with different things. When I got married, it changed a whole different a whole different thing happened. I started working on my relationship with my wife. It was like I went back to kindergarten, learning, learning things. Then as a, as a couple, we started working in the, in the nursery, and then we started working with the toddlers. And then it, it branched out in another realm where I started doing teaching. Every step was scary for me. Every step was a challenge. Every step was fearful. But when I took that first step, the grace and power of God stepped in where I stepped up, and there was a growth. There was like... Uh, fruitfulness, that there was ministry that happened, and I found this fulfillment. In fact, the more you get involved with something, the more it becomes part of your life, and the more you enjoy it. The more you get into using your gift and serving God, you're going to get into God more. You're going to—it's going to be more of a priority. You're going to adjust your priorities and shift the things that are that are important to you. Grace and works. Peter experienced both. When you think of Peter's life, he got the revelation from the Holy Spirit that Jesus was the Christ. He was the anointed one. He was the Messiah that the world was waiting for, that especially the Jews were looking uh, for God to do. That was the grace moment. Um, When Peter found himself denying Jesus and he felt so broken, he found grace in God's eyes through Jesus, and Jesus restored him at that fire. You know, after he rose from the dead, and he came back and started visiting and showing himself the disciples. Peter received the grace to, to really re- be forgiven. And to, again, he's, he was asked to step up into another level of responsibility as a follower of Jesus, to go and tell people that Jesus rose from the dead, to go and tell people that they can be saved and alive and born again in their spirit because of what Jesus did. And so he, again, was a participant of grace. He received grace. When he healed that person after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts 3, um, he heals that crippled man, and he says in Acts 3.12, by my own 
godliness and holiness, that man wasn't healed. He just was an extension of that healing power. But it wasn't by something he did. It was by the grace of God coming through Peter's gifts and the empowerment that he had. He began to touch and do the miracles that Jesus asked him to do. You might say that Peter found a resting place in God's grace, God's power and ability, God's ability to forgive, God's ability to equip. In Acts 15, Peter defends grace against works. You know, he was addressing a, a party of the Pharisees, but these people had accepted Christ. But after they accepted Christ, they began to teach the laws of Moses again, that people could only be saved by obeying the commandments. Well, that wasn't totally it. In Christ, we have now have the power to keep commandments. And when we miss, we ask for forgiveness, but the Holy Spirit is still the one that helps us keep the commandments or work on keeping the commandments. And so we find that grace and works begin to have a function together in our lives as Christians. And interesting, Peter, who talked about grace, who defined that grace is grace and works to be saved is, is not grace and we cannot be saved by our own works, also brought in the fact that works are to accomplish, accompany our faith in Jesus Christ as, new, as believers in Christ and as those who are growing spiritually. In 1 Peter 1, 13-16, With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Again, he's going to balance grace and work. As obedient children do, not conform to the evil desires. There's no grace when we practice evil. When we practice sin, we, we kind of put God's grace into neutral. Do not conform to evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance before you heard the gospel. Again, uh, Romans 12, 2, the renewing of our mind to what God's word says. Then we use our works, we use our will to activate and practice what the word of God is saying to us. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Again, it's God calling us into this partnership, this relationship, this cooperation with him. Again, it's connected deeply with the Holy Spirit in our relationship through prayer, through reading the word. We're developing this deep relationship where we're hearing God and then out of hearing, we're able to respond. We're able to cooperate. Christ's work made us holy so we could live in, so he could live in us and empower our works of holiness. He restored our will. And our will is so a part of the progress of becoming holy, being, having that work of holiness. Holy Spirit Plus, our world, our work will work holiness in our life. The definition of holiness, sacred, physically pure, morally blameless, consecrated, most holy, becoming one with the Lord. I don't know about you, but that work, word makes me feel uncomfortable. Because when I read that God is making me holy and he's asking me to be holy, I'm aware of all my, win my sins, my weaknesses, my failures. Uh, the Romans uh, 
7, Romans 6, where it's talking about the things I want to do, I don't do. But it's a work of grace. It's a work that, that is something we practice. You know, it's a cleansing thing that happens because the Holy Spirit is, is working with us and we're cooperating. I think of um, when I was dating. I would come home from work, and that was before we had coveralls. I'd come home all dirty. I'd have to put a fresh pair of jeans on every day. But I would come home after working all day, shower, get all clean, shave, make sure I was shaved, use my deodorant, and I'd go over and meet Dory at her house at the, where she was living with her pastors at the ministry house. And I'd spend probably till late there. But, you know, I was always, you know, getting all sharp, you know, getting the, putting the best clothes I had on, you know, which were my newest jeans. And, you know, my sharpest uh, button-down collar shirt, you know. And it's that whole thing of practicing with Jesus. He, he makes us holy. And it's almost like we start cooperating. We, we start being convicted and, uh, by the Holy Spirit of things he wants to make these adjustments. And really the things that he asks of us, there are things we pretty much already feel ashamed of. We already feel convicted about. And this work of holiness is not something like he's standing up there just frowning at us. It's something he's working on us. And some things, maybe it's been a long time we've been struggling with, but these are the things that we're going to find ourselves surrendering to God and finding him changing us. What is the purpose of holiness? It's our key verse for today, Hebrews 12, 14. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. It's interesting, the whole thing about holiness is getting closer to God. He's a holy God. He makes us righteous so that we can have fellowship and be holy because he wants to relate with us so badly. He loves us so much, but he wants us to clean up. Just like, I don't know, maybe you, husband or wife, you know, they won't go to kiss you and your breath is bad and they kind of like, oh, you know, so you go brush your teeth or you use a little mouthwash. God wants us to be so close. He wants to embrace us, and so he wants to clean us up. He wants to do the things that we can't do for ourselves because he desires intimacy. He desires deep holiness. He desires that deep communion and fellowship. And so he's asking us to cooperate with the work he wants to do. Holiness is about the closest relationship with anyone, which is God. Think of it before even there was anybody else besides Adam. It was Adam and God relationships all kind of trickle down from our relationship with God. Feel like you want a better relationship with your family? Seek God more. Determined to like that first part of the, that verse just, that just read, you know, seeking to, to love people and be close to them. Work at living with peace and loving people, letting God's love come out of your heart. You want a better marriage? You know, love God more. Ask God for help. He wants your marriage to be good. Marriages are feeling like crazy. Christian marriages, like crazy. The, the world is so hard. There's things that are so difficult, the afflictions. The love of God is waxing cold. But Christians, we have the source of love. There's no reason to separate. There's no reason to divorce. There's hope. There's forgiveness in marriage. There's, there's ability to reconnect and reconcile. If you've been divorced and you're hurting, God wants to... Be that first place in your life. He wants to restore you. He wants to, you to make you feel valuable again and not rejected. God shows us to be holy. In Ephesians 1, 4, everyone wants to be chosen. 
No one wants to be rejected. God chose us. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Work on holiness, Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Again, holiness is part of that, that function that works when a, within us to even bring more of the promises of God into our lives. He also talks about our fellowship. Watch who we fellowship with. You know, sometimes we lower our standards. We lower our holiness level by the people we hang around with. Sometimes when we're being changed, sometimes we realize, I still have these friends, but they're, they're, they're taking me down, or they can influence me to do something that's going to get me in trouble or cause me to go back. You know, it even says that... Uh, we're supposed to walk in such a walk that if we even hang around people who are living immorally, that we're supposed to separate from them. Why? Because of influence. It's so easy to be influenced. Christianity today, doctrines are being compromised. Uh, things are being compromised in the guise or supposedly out of love, but they're compromising the scriptures and what Jesus laid out as a follower, what, he, what, what followers are supposed to identify with and, and believe and live to be really experience what Jesus did on the cross for us. God loves everyone, but once a person accepts Christ, the work of holiness should begin. There should be conviction when people are in sin that the word of God constantly speaks of and gives clear direction for. What's, what's that? Oh, sorry, 2 Corinthians, I have a correction. I missed a, I put a 1 instead of a 2. Thank you. Keep receiving grace, Hebrews 12, 15. Be careful. You know, also, you know, again, we start talking about holiness, you can get in this mindset, okay, I'm in this work mindset. It's so easy for us to shift from grace to works or from works to grace. Oh, this is too hard. I'll just, okay, I'll not, not do anything. It's this fine balance between works and grace. Again, you're not going to be saved by all the works you do, but it's this cooperation with the Holy Spirit and listening to him and practicing. And you may fail when you start practicing, trying to really change the levels of holiness where you feel like God is really trying to change you. Don't give up. Keep practicing. Keep confessing your sin. Keep asking God to change you. Keep cooperating with the Holy Spirit. When you make a mistake, don't beat yourself down. Run to the Father. Think of it. When the ark, which represented the presence of God, was with the children of Israel, everything in that box was the presence, the power that went before them. When Uzzah, when they were moving that, that ark in, they weren't doing it like they were supposed to. They were supposed to put the poles to it, and the priests were supposed to carry it, but they had gotten laxed in their practices about what God had said about being around holiness and being around God. And they started just throwing this thing on, a, on an ox cart, and they're moving it down the road. So it starts, to, it starts to tumble over, and Uzzah, who is just ignorant, puts out his hand to touch the ark, and boom, he's dead. It's, it's the power of God is now in our life. Think of it. Holiness now resides in us. And so all we're doing is cooperating so the container gets a little bit more holy every day.
a little bit more righteous. We're, we're walking a little bit closer. What happens when we're holy? Greater revelation, greater understanding, greater power of the Holy Spirit flows into our lives, greater, greater empowering of our gifts because we become single-minded and single-focused and we become aware of what God and how God wants to use us. Again, God wants your holy life that represents God and it's full of God like the ark. It wants to be reflected in the people you're around every day of your life, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, the people you at the grocery store, the people at school, everywhere you find yourself, the glory of God, the holiness of God wants to come out. It wants to be reflected out of you. I wanted to talk about the word justification really quick. We are made right with and before God by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's God's mercy and grace extended to us by our faith in what Jesus did. Romans 5.18 says, As through one man's offense, Adam, judgment came up on all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man, Jesus' righteousness, his righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So Jesus justified us so we could be with God and him and have the Holy Spirit live in our lives. He justified us. We don't have to do anything but receive it. Sanctification is the secondary work we as Christians are going through since we accept Christ, we're born again, and our spirit is alive. And sanctification is just a fancy religious word that means cleansing. Sanctification might say it's the holiness process or it's the cleaning process of God restoring and renewing our mind healing our emotions, restoring our soul, to make holy and purify, to set apart for God's purpose. The process of setting apart our soul life in obedience to the word of God is how a Christian is to live. Second Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to be he called you to this through the, our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I think about how we started off talking about afflictions and the things that we go through. I don't know about you, but when I accepted Christ as a little kid, I thought my world was going to be perfect. I thought somehow in following Jesus, there was going to be no problems, no sorrows, that a Christian just glides through life. But the more I grow and the more I read the word, I realize it's a little different. And then when I look at the first followers, disciples, and realize they all died a martyr's death except John, and the fact is they just, the oil they boiled him in would not kill him. Everyone suffered incredibly. And then just like that Santa Claus movie, you know, Tim Allen, who's playing uh, Scott Calvin, he puts on that suit at Christmas time, and then he's all upset, like, hey, I don't want to be Santa. And the guy, you know, tells him, hey, you put the suit on. And then he shows him the claws, you know, that little lines around that card is the claws. I found that there's a clause for us as Christians that covers everything. It's Matthew 16, 24 out of the Amplified. Jesus said to his disciples, this was before any of them were martyred. If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests, 
take up his cross and follow me. Cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living and, if need be, in dying also. Man, that's our clause as Christians. We don't have a get-out-of-jail-free clause. This clause saying, you bought in, okay, you got eternal life, but you're, you're not in eternal life yet? You might have to give up your life. And it's just the fact that we have to walk with him as individuals. We have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you are going to get through, and you're going to have a great life. Some of us step back as we examine your life, we think, man, they had it made. They, they had it made in the shade. They were blessed in every way. We might look at someone else's life, we see all kinds of problems and things and everything going on. The thing is, we don't know what God has for us except what we're living out in our life. But there's a grace of God for however and whatever he's asking us to do. Whatever the cost of us following him, there's going to be grace to live it out. There's going to be challenges that you're going to overcome because of your faith and because of the faith he's put in you and because of the power he's put in you. But the bottom line is, you are going to have to answer or step up to whatever he asks of your life. That's our clause. Would you stand? We're going to close right there and go into a time of uh, just some closing time of prayer if you want a prayer. And I hope you're encouraged today and get to keep moving into holiness.